Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fuglesang Podcast. I'm John saying, Welcome to Tell Me Everything. Hello to all the daywalkers listening on the SiriusXM app and on demand and on the John saying podcast. Hello to our evil army of the night. We'd love to hear from all of you. You can always send emails to our Facebook page or my website, or you can call us, even if you're a daytime listener. Get some announcements out of the way. Thea Harper, uh, the goddess, is here. Chris Hauselt is running this thing from the South Carolina Bureau. I'm going to be at the, uh, where am I playing? I'm playing at the Belly Room. At the uh, at the comedy store in L.A. on Monday, October 17th. That's right after this show. I'll be going on stage there. So come see that. And, of course, the big sexy liberal comedy tour with Stephanie Miller. This one's called the Save Democracy Tour. Our uh, last show of the midterm season will be at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills on Saturday, the 22nd of October. You can get tickets at sexyliberal.com. And the best part about that show, we have some great guests coming. Rob Reiner's going to be on stage with Stephanie and Hal and me. Adam Schiff, some other surprises I can't say yet. And if you can't make it out to L.A., you can see the entire show streaming through a pay-per-view, which will be really fun. So go to sexyliberal.com and come be a part of the drunken reverie before the midterms, if we can even get that far. All right, let's get to it. I want to talk about what's happening right now because Russia has been firing cruise missiles at cities across the Ukraine, killing civilians, knocking out power. It's being called the biggest barrage against Ukraine since the invasion began seven and a half months ago. So there was this huge inferno that hit the bridge to Crimea this weekend. Putin declared the mass strike was revenge for Ukrainian attacks like the bridge in Crimea, except they're not really revenge attacks when they're trying to drive you out of their country. Putin went on TV and said he ordered strikes against energy, command, and communication targets with missiles fired from the air, the sea, and land. Putin said the Kyiv regime has put itself on the same level as international terrorist organizations. This is literally the country trying to repel a much stronger neighbor that has invaded it and filled it with mass graves. Here is uh, Sergei Kislitskia. Ukrainian ambassador to the UN with a dire prediction of what's going to happen if we keep on letting Russia annex more territory from Ukraine. Ukrainians can tell you what our world will look like if this erosion of the UN's credibility is not stopped. If complete disregard for the UN Charter by a country occupying a permanent seat in the Security Council meets any response but zero tolerance. Death, human suffering, and destruction are immediate outcomes. As it was in the city of Zaporizhia on the night of the 9th of October, when Russia fired over 20 missiles on residential areas which killed at least 13 and injured 60 civilians, including six children. And let me remind you that Zaporizhia is the main city of one of the four regions that Russia has claimed following the sham referendums. Moscow has even included the reference to Zaporizhia in its constitution. Please forgive me use of the term constitution in relation to that worthless piece of paper. It is indeed hard, if not impossible, for a normal human being 
to comprehend the logic of Putin and his cronies. First, you claim the seizure of an area of a neighboring sovereign state under the pretext of protection of local population. And then you kill this population with dozens of missiles. Yeah. So explosions were reported in Lviv, Chernobyl, all over Western Ukraine. These missiles went directly into civilian areas, busy intersections, parks, tourist sites, and the center of downtown Kyiv. It's stronger than any assault they've had so far. Ukrainian officials have said at least 10 people were killed. That number's gone up through, over the course of the day. They blew up a children's playground in one of Kyiv's busiest parks. Here's on MSNBC. Retired General Barry McCaffrey says he believes Vladimir Putin is a desperate man whose actions are, as we speak, wrecking the Russian economy. He's clearly desperate. Uh, economically, uh, Russia is in serious difficulty. It's probably permanent. They're a pariah nation uh, politically. The wheels are coming off the Russian army. They're running out of smart munitions and now just battering civilian targets throughout Ukraine. They've lost tremendous ground in the east. And they're facing possibly losing 15,000 troops cut off in the Kherson pocket. So... He's in trouble. His mobilization's a disaster. It looks as if they're publicly preparing the Russians for the use of weapons of mass destruction. It's illogical. I don't believe he's going to do it. I think it's a bluff. But the president of the United States clearly have to take this into account as a serious uh, issue to be addressed. Vladimir Zelensky, president of Ukraine, said these attacks were deliberately timed to kill civilians. They are trying to destroy us and wipe us off the face of the earth, he said on the Telegram app. Ukraine's defense ministry said Russia had fired 81 cruise missiles this morning. Ukraine's air defenses shot down 43 of them. We were at 866-997-4748. Let's go back and get some of your calls. Uh, Jay in Illinois, thank you so much for your patience. Welcome. Oh, hi, John. Yeah. So um, this guy, Bob, has been making the round today. He was on Tom Hartman earlier. I heard he called Tom this morning. Yeah. And and you know what? I traveled, too. I've been traveling for 30 years around the United States on business. And, you know, he has a very simplistic understanding. And it's not understanding is not the right word. It's a very simplistic notion of how it, you know, how you compare city to city. You know, the yes. Republican cities, there, there's very, very little evidence that the Republican cities do anything better crime-wise. We have systemic exactly. problems. We all need to do better. And I invite him to look at Jacksonville, Florida, a Republican state. Look at Miami, a Republican mayor. And, you know, as you pointed out, as Tom pointed out, markedly, the, the red states have a higher crime rate for the most part. Markedly, yeah. they have a higher firearm mortality rate. It's not even clear. Right. Markedly, the blue states are far more literate, and markedly, the red states have a higher COVID rate. So, you know, he needs to sort of get an education. But he's you not going to get that. Under- he, he's going to get affirmation. He's going to go to listen to Breitbart. He's going to go listen to Patriot. They're going to tell him exactly what, what he wants to hear and that things in Mississippi are great. And if it's not, it's because they had a Democratic governor in a previous century. But California is the third world hellscape. And, you know, and they're going to go around saying this until they talk to someone who knows otherwise. And this is what we deal with all the time. I mean, in the bubble, all this bullshit is true. Outside the bubble, they have to deal with us. That's right. And, and that's called reality. The thing about Cal, if you want to blame liberals, okay, it's because they create such good economies that there's a dissension between, you know, those who have very good homes, who make, you know, six-figure salaries, and they've created this schism, you know, so that we all need to do better. But that's the reality. It's not that the liberals don't know how to deal with crime. That's you know, right. Just, and by the way, all these all these all these Democrat run cities generally have Republican governors who are actually in control of the purse strings for those states. That's true. I, I, I you know, I'm traveling throughout the Midwest. Like I said, I travel. A lot. I, I live uh, in North Carolina, fortunately, and I'm from New York originally. But we have a great governor in North Carolina. So it's the exception to the rule. But you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Exactly. So, exactly. Thank so you. I just want to tell Bob to, you know, go toe to toe. I'm a traveler, too. And, and for, for a very long time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your insight, Jay. Thank you for making me feel yeah. saner. <laughs> 
Have a great one. 866-997-4748. Let me get one more call before we hit our break. Rich in Indiana, thanks for waiting on hold. Not at all, man. Thank you so much. I I was I was made to uh, remember getting to speak with uh, Judy Gold in a permutation of your show uh, oh. like four years ago. Right and uh, I got to tell Judy how much I loved her. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. We had a moment. It was sweet. Um, nice. I wanted to call and um, talk about Ben Bernanke as having, I believe, re- was receiving a Nobel for his uh, his work uh, that basically held us back from the cliff when uh, he was working with President Obama's administration. That's right. That's right. And also that his work, although not openly uh, referring to it, was employing modern monetary theory, wherein he explained how the banks had to be made liquid. And Henry Paulson had, if you, if you really want to uh, be bothered about how a bailout was inappropriate, Henry Paulson just chucked stuff uh, at the banks initially with uh, W and Cheney in charge. That was that was when this started. But oh, it was during Obama and Ben Bernanke that uh, real hard decisions had to be made and real thinking went on. So modern monetary theory explains how we, the United States, with the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency, has the premier uh, standing because there isn't anybody who wants to put their money in other currencies in any comparison to how the dollar is is accepted. And so because we've got that kind of control, which we need to guard jealously, you know, we need to, we need to really conserve and, and be stewards of our situation and not reckless, but by virtue of, our being in possession of the world reserve currency, we can do these kinds of things that other countries never could. Right. And that's kind of what, what the pound is falling apart with right now, because they're, they're like trying to pretend that they've got the, the sterling, a pound sterling is a reserve currency, and it's really not. But doesn't Ben Bernanke so, get some of the credit? Doesn't Ben Bernanke deserve some of the credit for causing the 2008 financial crisis? Well, I'm not going to say no. We were in uh, an incredibly difficult situation, and the thing that he's being acknowledged for, I believe, with the Nobel, is his understanding of history of how the Great Depression was basically ignited by pulling back too soon. Right. Uh, Bernanke, I thought well, it's also Bernanke about, about was, bank runs. I mean, they're also about, about bank runs. I mean, there's a lot right, of right, right. was about. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, Jeremy Siegel of Fortin was trying to get a word in edgewise last week about the current Fed chairs uh, working the system. And he was saying that if we're jacking up the interest rate, what we're doing is, and I was comparing this to a moment out of the Luc Besson film, uh, Fifth Element, where Zog is being presented a statistic where he says, we're losing lots of money, sir, and uh, we, we need to cut some jobs. And he just tosses off, fire a million. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess that's why so, like, I've, I've, I've got to go deeper on it, because to me, I just, I, I get it's great that he did all this work. You know, he, he's, he got the Nobel Prize for his research on financial crises. But, I mean, he's the guy who oversaw the bank bailout for the financial crisis well, when he was, was head of the Fed. I thought, so, that, was, I thought that was Henry. Didn't Henry? Henry Paulson was. Okay, Henry correct Paulson me, was the tra- correct me, please, the, because I, I want to understand it as well as you do. Paulson was yeah. the Treasury so, Secretary. But but he was the one who was organizing, you know, getting getting everybody to the table to say, we have to throw money at you, and that's going to be okay, right? Yeah, the, bail, yeah, and, the and, bailout and, for the banks that ripped us off. But I'm, I'm among those who right, kind of right. feel like that, that didn't really help us long term because the banks are still no, ripping it didn't. us off. No, that's, that's seen... what I was trying to – yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to critique that, that Hank Paulson was reckless and sure. that – Ben Bernanke, and I'm sorry, it was Paul O'Neill, um, I think. Paul O'Neill is who I was thinking of at the time was the Treasury Secretary. My apologies. Oh, no worries. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I cannot recall our, our current Fed chair's name. I just know he's a Trump appointee. Right. And I just that, I just uh, feel he, like, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I do have to hit a break, but I mean, you know, okay. congratulations to Bernanke. I just don't really understand 
how someone who is really responsible for helping the wealthy a whole lot in this country and didn't really avoid the financial crisis and has set us up to have another one, you know, gets that. But let's see how it plays out. What do I know about Nobel Prizes for Economics? <laughs> Thank you so much for the call. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Sirius XM. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is SiriusXM Progress. Let's get back to the phones. We're at 866-997-4748. So grateful to you guys for your patience on hold. I don't have your name on the screen. Hello. Government should start giving pregnancy kiss, drug tests, and vaccines. Who am I talking to? Uh, Hello. Roger Ailes. Oh, I'm dead. Uh, ah. Bill Goldberg. Uh, Bill. It's Bill from New Jersey. How are you, Bill? I'm sorry. For whatever reason, your name didn't show up on my screen tonight. Hello. That's okay. That that's, describes me mostly. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think people don't realize a month or so ago, there was $1.6 billion pumped into the right-wing political arm. And that's now right. that's what's showing up. They have so much money. And as we've said, advertising works. And right now, with the public, it's practically like Clockwork Orange, where, you know, where they have their eyes uh, held open with, and tied down to a chair. Well, For you, some you of know, us, Donald, yeah. Uh, well, Donald Trump, you know, does the freaky deaky nude or something. Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, uh, it has a, a effect. It's like swimming upstream dealing with this nonsense. I agree. Um, and it's it's very predictable. And I don't know what they can do about it. But um, I mean, what can they do about it? I mean, it's all targeted advertising, telling people what they want to hear. It's just until we get dark money out of our politics, until we have only publicly funded elections, we're not going to have a real democracy. We can't. Right, right, right. And, and regarding the the opening thing, those things should be supplied liberally. The uh, pregnancy tests, you know, where there's states where they still have very limited laws, so you want to check yourself as often as you can. That's and right. I don't know why they're not handing out I think the federal government has a program, but they have tests for fentanyl. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, you can test what you're uh, going about about to take really? uh, on the spot. I so didn't even know. I think Amazing. that would, you know. Look, if you care about that. public health, yes. I mean, if you care well, about public health and you don't want American citizens who are taxpayers who happen to be addicts to die, then yeah, mm -hmm. I agree with what you're saying. The problem we have is one of empathy. The problem we have is that a lot of Americans are well, content to let other Americans die. Well, you know, nothing's more important than being alive, I mean, to begin with. And yeah. that should be always where all the energy, you know, is going to. And uh, if you can't have life, you have nothing else. I just, you know, I'm, I'm just shocked by all this nonsense. And I think people should go away for a week before the election and clear their <laughs> minds. Yeah, I think uh, so as well. We were just talking in the break about how happy we'll be to have a lot more pop culture segments, a lot more celebrities, right. a lot more comics, a lot more. Let's do uh -huh. mental health segments. Let's do some more history segments. I mean, it's it's so, going to be great to be able to breathe once this thing is over. Uh -huh. And, of course, to continue to fight with the same level of intensity, but just to have some mental health breaks. Uh -huh. too. John, have you thought about having a contest for the best conservative caller? <laughs> what would the criteria be? I don't think we get a lot of conservative. We get some they conservative will answer callers. a question. 
They will oh, no, no, no. That, they can't do that. They will talk Conser- about it. Well, conservatives can do that. We don't get a lot of conservatives. We do get a lot of right-wing coward trolls who are driven by hate. And it's very hard to be objective and have a real debate when your entire goal in the debate is not exchange of ideas, but to let the other person know how much you hate them. Yeah, that's because all facts now are emotions. And if it's the wrong emotion, the fact is wrong. And it's backwards. You're right. uh, You know... It's just messed up. I it's think. all true. Um, it's all true. But, uh, you know, it, it just... Ugh. Um, <laughs> yes. Ugh kind of sums up... Yes, that, that's, that's my lexicon. Hey, thank you so much for the call, Bill. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127. I'm John saying We're at 866-997-4748. Let's go to Cheryl in Michigan. Cheryl, you've been on hold forever. Thank you. Um, my favorite Angela Lansbury role is when she played Auntie Mame in the um, you know Broadway musical version. Did you see her on Broadway in that? No, I just I had the cast recording. Oh, I see. Like I I had seen the Lucille Ball you know movie of it, but my um, best friend's father said he had Lucille Ball in that. He liked um, Angela Lansbury. In the uh, <laughs> in the Broadway version, that's so and, great. Um, and she also played Sybil Vane, who was an actress in the Dorian Gray picture, you know, movie. And she played the, you know, she was young, you know, fairly young. She played this actress named Sybil Vane that she fell in love with. But when he dumped her, she committed suicide. That's right. And yeah, you know, she, she was, so, she was only twenty years twenty years old when she made that movie, right? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. she also, I listen to the classic radio channel on uh, Sirius XM a lot, and I've mm-hmm. heard her in a number of radio dramas also. Yes, as I have as well. You know, I really like her, but my favorite is, um, you know, when she was Auntie Mame. That's brilliant. I mean, my favorite is always going to be, obviously, Eleanor Reislin, the mother of uh, Lawrence Harvey in The Manchurian Candidate. Just uh, such a fantastic, smart portrayal of a woman who is so evil in the hands of a lesser actor, it would have been a cartoon, but she makes it so convincing. But I, I mean, I love her in, in, in Gaslight, um, National Velvet, uh, she was in with Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, I grew up watching. And uh, God, it's so, I mean, Long Hot Summer with, with, with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. She's great in that one, too. Yeah, yeah. I, and I used to watch, you know, Murder, She Wrote all the time. But yeah, I really liked her. As, I really liked her as actress. Yeah. She was really good. Me too. Oh, and and I've, and, I've never seen an episode of Murder She Wrote, but I've always loved Angela Lansbury. Go ahead. Um, in the um, Broadway, you know, musical, there's this song. She does sing it. Her her friend Vera Charles sings it in this play that she's in, and, and the song is called "The Man in the Mood Is a Lady." And um, I, you know, I learned that song and. Um, I was living with um, friends that had a, da- a daughter that, you know, I was with, living with her, she was born. And, and so, like, when she was a toddler, and the moon was, you know, was full and stuff like that, I used to take her outside to look at the moon, and I would nice. sing the man, and the moon is a lady to her. <laughs> nice. But, See, that's the great thing about, like, a career like hers, is that she means something really different to, to everybody. And uh, five days short of being 97, it's it's a lovely way to go. Yeah, I, I I really I really liked her a lot. She was a very good yeah. actress. 
Me too. And there's still so many great Angela Lansbury <laughs> films I haven't had the pleasure of watching yet that I will look forward to seeing. Cheryl, thank you so very much for the call tonight. We have to take a break or we're going to get in trouble. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Once upon a time, there was a low-budget horror film about a doll possessed by a murderer. It was called Child's Play. Maybe you saw it. It had sequels. But fans of horror will tell you. Those movies really began with the film Bride of Chucky, when the franchise cast Miss Jennifer Tilly, the Academy Award-nominated star of Bullets Over Broadway and other films, including, oh my God, Bound, the best noir of uh, the last 30 years and the best Wachowski film ever, uh, Liar, Liar, Fabulous Baker Boys, uh, and professional poker superstar, and I should say Canadian. The series of films gradually evolved from horror to ironically self-aware, LGBT-friendly camp, but still scary masterpiece in a TV series on sci-fi by the great Don Mancini. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's very easy to catch up. Jennifer plays both the evil doll Tiffany and a version of the real Jennifer Tilly, who was later killed and her body possessed by Tiffany. If this sounds hard to follow, the good news is you really don't need to. The show is that fun. It's really a pleasure. Jennifer Tilly. Well, it's really nice to see you again, John. It's nice to see you again. You were, you were. I was telling Nico before, you were the first person I ever interviewed for network TV. Right. Once upon I, a time. I remember that. They said, oh, I think you were, it was sort of a sample show or something. I had a deal with NBC and they right. asked me to do a thing and I said, I don't want to do that. They said, well, it's with Jennifer Tilly. And I said, right. oh, I want to do that. I don't know. We had such a good time. And then I was like, whatever happened to that guy? And then I follow you on Twitter and then I met you somewhere and you said, hey, I interviewed you once. And I was like, oh my God, it's that guy. That's like, right. <laughs> you know, that, that, that elusive stranger. Well, I also had yeah. the great pleasure of doing some celebrity autobiography shows with you and getting right. to watch you really stretch in ways I'd never seen you before. Oh my gosh, that show is so much fun. Yeah. But my favorite to play was Ivana Trump because I, she's just so uh, unaware <laughs> and, you know, just very, very grand, grand dumb. And I also love playing um, Kris Jenner because uh, yes. I like playing those women that are really sort of very, very much over the top. But the thing that's fun about that show is we read from the really kind of Sorry, but cheesy, very cheesy celebrity. Extremely cheesy, yeah, unaware. If, if they're well-written, then Gene Pack, who, who does, he did, he's not interested in yes. the well-written celebrity autobiographies. And um, it's just really great because they have a group of actors that they funnel through and, you know, stage actors, film actors, comedians, and personalities like Dick Cavett. Yeah. <laughs> Dick Cavett loves doing the show. I got Joy Reid to do it once. I mean, oh, it's great. great. She yeah. read Beyonce's book. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. But it's, it's so much fun. Well, it, it's also so much fun watching you stretch the same kind of muscles playing um, a really interesting version of you. Right. I, it's really hard to explain Chucky, cause, and especially, you, but like you say, you don't have to. You don't but have it, to. It's but. very, very silly. Um, Bride of Chucky I did 23 years ago. Yes. And Tiffany, the doll, the, is obsessed with Jennifer Tilly. In fact, she's her biggest fan. And so it's kind of like, for an actress, a stalker nightmare, because she wants to get close to me, but she wants to get really close to me, and her soul goes into my body, and she becomes Jennifer Tilly, like the 
fan dream come true. So when you see uh, Chucky season two, <laughs> two just to catch everybody right at premiering right now, you see uh, Tiffany living in Jennifer Tilly's palatial mansion, trailing around in all her Oscar dresses, basically ruining her career by auditioning for things and spending all her money, <laughs> losing money gambling. And so she's sort of like the really bad version of Jennifer Tilly. But then there's scenes where Jennifer Tilly is going to premiere. And myself, I'm when I go to a premiere, it's like, oh, my God. Oh, okay, because I'm always afraid they're going to catch me at a bad angle mm. and I'll say something wrong when I'm going down the red carpet. But Tiffany revels in it. She's like, hello. She's blowing kisses to her fans. She's like over-the-top parody of a movie star. And that's just really fun. It's super campy. It's super campy, but it's, it's really smart. It's really knowing. It's really, I think, mm. political and progressive. And it's mm-hmm. really true for horror fans. But I, I was trying to think of actors who have played themselves mm-hmm. before. Uh, Sophia Loren did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Malkovich, of course. Uh, Nicolas Cage just yes. did it. This Julia year. Roberts. Julia Roberts mm-hmm. did it. Um, A movie out now, Deborah Messing plays Deborah Messing. That's right. Mm-hmm. I've never seen uh, an actor play themselves uh, dead As a, and possessed by, a, and possessed by an evil and doll. possessed by a doll. Yeah. Well, you, when you were saying about Bound, this season we have a Bound reunion. I was going to ask Chucky, about that because yeah. I, I think there's no way to understate like not just how great a film Bound is, mm-hmm. but how influential it is. I, that's one of my very favorite movies that I've ever done. Yeah. And when I auditioned for it, I auditioned for the part of Corky because it was another very fine actress set to do Violet. And mm-hmm. then she fell out. And then another actress took over and I came in and kept auditioning for Corky. And I wanted to play Corky because every actress wants to play the one that gets to punch Joey Pantoliano in the face <laughs> and kick butt and, you know, be like the guy. You're like, we never get a chance to be the guy. And then all of a sudden they decided they wanted me to play Violet and they wanted Gina Gershon to play Corky. Thank God. <laughs> and I was like, actually, they came out to Vancouver where I was shooting something. And I said to my manager, if they think they're going to come out and convince me to play Violet, they might as well save their plane fare because I am never playing Violet. <laughs> I was so wondering. Really? And they, they go, they go oh, well, we found this girl, Gina. We think she'd be good for Corky, but she's open to playing both parts. And I was like, okay, all right, well, I'll meet her, you know, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm telling you, I'm not. And my manager's like, calm down, calm down. So they all come out and Jeannie shows up and she's really, really late because the plane was late. Nobody came to pick her up at the airport. These are all understandable complaints. But I was like, oh, hello, Miss Negativity. <laughs> keep us, keep us waiting for 45 minutes and coming complaining. <laughs> She, I was dressed like Corky. I was like slouching around. I have my hair was all kind of short and I'm like all being badass. And she says to the Wachowskis, okay, so I got my ears pierced. She's, and she's, cause Corky has all her burglar tools in her That's ears. Right. So she already had punched a whole bunch of ears in. And she pointed at me and she said, I think my hair should be like that girl's. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Obviously, nobody told Jeannie she's open to playing both parts. And then later on, the witch house gets did an interview and they were like, we never had Jennifer in mind for Corky. We always wanted Jennifer for a violin. So funny. Yeah, so they, they always get what they want. They didn't want me to ad-lib anything at all. And I'm usually really big on the ad-libs. And when I do, you know, I see it as like, I'm helping the writers. <laughs> like I see myself as which some writers would agree with. Well, you know, Woody Allen was very open to improvising. That was my question. I mean, how much latitude did he give you on that film? Some actors he really loved when you improvised, and some actors you didn't. But he was timid to the point of being. He was so polite, like overly polite, I think. And so you had to look around and guess whether you're one of the people that he wanted to ad-lib or not. Right. So he loved for me to ad-lib. John Cusack, uh, Tass Palmentary, Diane Weist, he would let her ad-lib, but she's like, I can't ever think of anything to say, like (laughs) off off of the script. Right. So um, when I, on that movie, I I said, I go charm, 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 which gay men always come up to me on the street and hold out their hand, (laughs) very affected and go, charm, 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 charm. I think that was like the beginning of me being a gay icon. I think it was uh, all the pink feathers and, you know, me saying charmed. But um, then also to one of, somebody said their favorite line that I say in the movie is, um, I'm trying to make out with, uh, I forget who, 
his name, the mm. guy who plays my my lover, right? Um, and he he you know he's gaining a lot of weight. He's yes. getting very fat. He's eating a lot, and he goes, "Hold on a second, hold on a second. And he reaches in his pocket and pulls out like a chicken leg because he wants. And I go, Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. Yes. And I go, and I go, oh, poultry. <laughs> but somebody. Somebody said that was that was their favorite line. And then Chaz and I were always improvising. Like he was yelling at me and I was yelling at him. And I feel like the real romance on the show was between Olive and Chaz. Like they were kind mm-hmm. of in love yeah. with each other, but they didn't realize it. Because she was always yelling at him and calling him a big a big buffoon and he was always complaining about how annoying she was. He does kill her, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. yeah, but you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a true love story, right? Yeah. The funny thing is I saw that with my ex husband and my ex husband was so supportive of my career and this was after we were divorced we were really good friends for 30 years so he knows how hard I struggled in fact when I got to be 30 he's like Jennifer maybe you should open a store and I'm like a store I don't want what open a store what he goes well you know you haven't if you haven't made it by now you maybe you were never gonna make it which is a very sad thought because actors just keep running up against the wall bam 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 until they're black and blue but it's really hard to decide to give up your dream and he was being really nice and everything and I was like I must leave Sam <laughs> I'm, I'm exaggerating of course but he he was started thinking like maybe we should start a family and I'm like a family what about my career non-existent career at that point <laughs> but I was like I can't have a baby it'll slow me down so anyhow after we were divorced he, I did bullets over Broadway and they arranged a special screening it was Sam and me and there was a couple of critics you know right. scattered around the theater and Sam was watching, he was talking right out loud in the theater. He was like, first of all, when everyone was saying how bad Olive was, he was like, you're not that bad. <laughs> like it was me. And when people were like, and when they're saying Olive is a bad actress. When they're saying Olive is a bad actress. And when the understudy goes on and she gets a standing ovation, he uh, and they're like, oh my God, it was amazing. She was brilliant. And she goes, he goes, that's bullshit. She wasn't better than you. He wasn't joking. He was really indignant. And then when Chaz <laughs> is taking me down to the dock, Sam started to get really alarmed. He goes, what's going on? Where are you going? Where is he taking you? And then he goes, he's not going to kill you, is he? And then Chaz goes, blam, blam, blam. And Chaz ad-libbed, uh, you're a horrible actress, Olive. Yeah. The the line was actually, Olive, you're just not ready for Broadway. <laughs> but he said, you're a horrible actress. <laughs> all that stuff he's saying about, oh, oh, her voice. Oh, my God, it's so awful. He ad-libbed all that part. Your husband was like a big figure in comedy. I mean, like he, it, yeah. for him to be saying this is yeah. really embracing he, to me. He, he, he produced The Simpsons. So anyway, he kills me and I fall into the water and Sam goes does this mean you're never going to get to Broadway (laughs) I said I'm afraid so he goes come on honey let's get out of here and I go but the movie's not over yet and he goes it is for me (laughs) and made me leave he didn't want to see it anymore he was so pissed off he felt so bad for Olive I think he thought Olive was me like a really bad actress who was very serious about her acting and just kept trying and everybody just kept putting her down so but that's how you played it by the way that's a testament to you because if you had played Olive Uh as this horrible person it would have been a flat boring performance a classic period role because you. you play her so earnestly. I lo- well, I love that part, and I really felt for her, and I felt like she knew that she was like substandard, and you know, she really wanted to be like a lot of us being the serious actress. Like she'd show up on the set and she'd look around and see how the other people behaved, and then she would try to behave like them. And I think a little bit like having sex with Jim Broadbent or Affair mm-hmm. was wanting to be a part of that theater world, yeah. and you know, sort of wanting, but she really wanted to be taken seriously. Seriously, she's embarrassed. She has a bodyguard. She looks around. She sees none of the other actors have a bodyguard. So that's why she's yelling at Chaz all the time. Mm-hmm. She's just like resentful. And then, you know, she's, she's changing. It's sort of like a, a Born Yesterday story. Very much, really. yeah. You know, when I worked with Alan Garfield on... Um, on Let It Ride, he was all saying, we should do Born Yesterday. Everyone's saying we should do Born Yesterday. And that would be actually a great combination with him and and myself. I could totally see you in that kind of Judy Holiday archetype. Yeah, yeah. But, in, you know, I'm surprised to hear that you were able to improvise dialogue for Bound because... I'll never forget when I saw that movie. I saw that movie in the East Village of New York City, Mm -hmm. and the crowd was just roaring by the end. There is Mm -hmm. no film noir. In the 90s, people, children who don't remember it, the 90s, there was a a brief moment where they were making a lot of film noirs out of studios. Like, they were really going for it on a mass scale. Nothing came close to this movie. And I I had this experience. Uh, I did this show with you and Gina Gershon, Mm -hmm. and I walked out of the theater with you both afterwards, and Mm -hmm. I saw the dudes lined up outside Mm -hmm. wanting to get 
their photos of the two of you from that movie signed. Oh. Like the fan base you have from right. that film right. alone was like so inspiring. Well, when it came out, I don't think it really stayed in the theater for very long. I think it no. was a little bit mismarketed. Um, I think they kind of didn't know what they had. But I like that you said it because to me it's a classic film noir, and they're sort of peddling it like, you know, softcore core porn. You know, Rather hey, want to see two yeah, chicks yeah. getting it but on? In reality, it's incredibly progressive and ahead of its time. It was, you know, at the time there were not a lot of films, and it's really hard to imagine now because every independent film has like, you know, lesbian characters and everything. But the time was kind of not good for your career. And the Wachowski said to me, "You would not believe." all the actresses that refused to come and read for this. And I thought, refused to come and read for one of the best scripts for women that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, really, really, really good. But we were very concerned, Gina and I, about, because a lot of times you can read something on the page and it seems very pornographic, and then it's not, like, when I auditioned for, uh, what was that movie that Lolita Davidovich did with Paul Newman? Blaze. Blaze, yeah. I went in, I, I made them laugh. I think sometimes when I make people laugh at auditions, it's like me being self-destructive because I went in and I said, well, I don't think I have that. I don't think I'm talented enough to because it was described in the script. Make one tassel go one way and the other tassel go the other way at the same time. And then they all laughed and cast somebody else. <laughs> I heard that they actually originally cast Virginia Madsen in the part. And then Paul Newman was so uncomfortable because she reminded him of his daughter. So they recast really? with Lolita Davidovich. And then, of course, she married the director. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, Butterfly. When are you writing your memoir with all your Hollywood stories? Oh my gosh, I have so many stories that don't involve me, but I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to write a memoir because number one, I haven't slept with enough above the title actors. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Right. Yeah. Lots and prayers. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I, I feel like a lot of things, like a lot of the stories that I have that I tell to my friends with, you know, somebody's the butt of the joke. And I have a lot of very salacious stories about famous people that I've heard that other people have told me. Oh, well, I got a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. But well, are... for example, Michelle Phillips told me, and I, I'm sure she doesn't mind. It's not, it's not salacious, but she was dating, was it, was it Jack Nicholson? She, I think it was, yeah, she was dating Jack Nicholson. And she said she that she has other stories that I won't tell about no, how, she tells, how the relationship She tells her ended. stories. She, she oh, tells yeah. a lot of she's stories. A, she's a great storyteller. I loved her. We, she were, I worked with her on Let It Ride. But she said she was dating Jack Nicholson, and they were in Paris. And he was very celebrated for Easy Rider. Was yeah. he an Easy Rider? Uh, yes, he was an Easy Rider. It's got to be Jack Nicholson. That was Jack Nicholson. Okay. Or so Fonda. very, very celebrated, but but they didn't get any money for it. So mm -hmm. he's like an international jet set celebrity, but you know, but no money. So she said they were walking along the Champs Elysees and they ran into Mick Jagger and I think it was Bianca at the time. Okay, look, I'm terrible. They started. Right. In, okay, they ran That's into right. Mick Jagger. Maybe Bianca wasn't there. That might be writer's embellishment. They ran into, uh, and they said, hey, let's go to this club. And it was this super fancy club. And they're like, okay, oh. Jack said that. So they go to the club. They have all the champagne and caviar and everything. And the bill comes. And um, uh, she's nudging Jack. She's feeling embarrassed. She's like, Jack, you should pay for it because you're the one that invited him. All of a sudden, Jack, like, oh, yeah, he couldn't. He was sort of like um, not noticing anything or kind of wandering off. So finally, Mick Jagger digs in his pocket. And he um, pulls out his credit card. And he hands it to the waiter. And the waiter goes away and comes back really embarrassed. He goes, um... Mr. Jagger, your your credit card appears to have expired. And Mick goes, blimey, when did that happen? And the waiter goes, ten years ago. <laughs> and Michelle goes, it was a credit card he kept in his pocket for when he was dining out with deadbeats where he felt like they should pay the bill. And she said there was nothing to it, but, you know, Jack had to yeah. dig in his pocket and pull out his credit card and pay for the bill. She, she told a story once that she was seeing Star Wars uh -huh. in 77. Harrison Ford comes on screen and she shouted to the theater, that's the guy I buy weed from. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you kidding? <laughs> She's funny. I, I, I heard you say somewhere that uh, you were not surprised mm -hmm. when the Wachowskis made their transition. Um. No, I, you know what? I actually was surprised. Oh, well, I wasn't surprised to a certain extent. Oh, I just want to say, because they wouldn't like this. I, um, I did not do any improvising inbound. None. They didn't. The script was so meticulously constructed. And like sometimes in rehearsal, Joey and Joey and Gina and I, we all, we all love to improvise. So we'd be in rehearsal. We were like three spoiled brats. 
And we'd be like, I don't want to say that. Can I not say that? <laughs> they would say, and they talked really slow. Well, uh, I guess you, 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 you could not say that. But then on page 76, there's a scene that refers directly to that line. <laughs> And then we realized it's like a house of cards. You pull out one card, the whole thing That's collapses. Right. So I, they made me do everything word for word. And if I ever improvised, they'd make me stop and do the scene again. Really? But it was a very good discipline for me because I'm a pretty gregarious person. And the thing with Violet, she's very submerged. Mm -hmm. Like I see her as an iceberg. Like she very is. dangerous. It's just the tip is showing and most of it is underwater. And um, so everything that she said was for very well thought out and even if she said something accidentally it wasn't accidentally it was for effect pretending to say something accidentally right. you know to yeah. create an impression so when i saw the movie i said to the wachowskis because joey was all over the place joey comes in and he's the scene where he's carrying the money covered with blood he's like ah ah duh, why they they bought me they bought them ah, the, then they, 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 and then they and then ah, oh, there's blood everywhere ah and that obviously wasn't the script and i said really indignantly you never let me ad-lib anything and you let joey say whatever the fuck you wanted and they go well um joey never knew his lines he had to say something <laughs> but then i realized it was so good for the character because the character yes. was always scrambling to catch up and your character is so restrained my, anyway yeah my character was really in control it's she was confined. a puppet master and mm -hmm. she was manipulating and moving everybody around but the um the joey's character cesare he was not super bright he was a company man and the, these right. women were really um you know he was just always sort of scrambling to catch up as I, as yeah. I said but then they said to me really dignantly they said no you did improvise one line and I said what they said when the cops came in the door you said hi that wasn't in the script <laughs> and I was like oh bitter much <laughs> but the thing is I realized they were right I was saying that to fill an awkward moment and Violet wouldn't have done that. It would have been better off if I didn't say hi. Right. So, I mean, that film's, that film's a Swiss watch. The third act of that movie is perfect. I, I can't imagine where they would allow any improvising. Uh, right, yeah. Well, not me, but Joey Joey did do, oh. actually, a lot, a lot of improvising. And they actually made that movie because they had already written The Matrix. Yeah. And it was budgeted $120 million. And they... That they wanted to direct it because they're very unhappy. Another film of theirs had um, assassins. Yeah. Uh, they they hate it. They want to take their name off of it, yeah. but they made too much money. I guess there's a writer's guild rule: if you make too much money, then you're a brand name writer and you can't take remove your name from a script. So they wanted to direct Matrix themselves, so another director couldn't, you know, misinterpret it. Of course, it. Thank and God. their agent said nobody's going to allow two unknowns who have never directed before direct a $120 million movie. And I think they actually ended up getting the price down to $60 million when they actually filmed it. And you Bound know, like, was a calling card. Bound opened that, the doors. That was their calling card. So they made Bound. Too. Yeah. It's a better movie. <laughs> well, I, I love The Matrix. I love The I Matrix. Think Bound, is, Bound is fantastic. It's and I perfect. love a whole new generation and people are rediscovering it. Yeah. And after that, because... the, the Okay, well, this is the thing question you said about the Wachowskis, is um, there were... Because it was a film about two people who are in love that happened to be a woman, so the them being gay, it wasn't it wasn't a plot, but it is a, a film about facades and, and exactly. appearances and masks that people wear. But it was basically about two people that are in love, and it wasn't like usually it wasn't like a Basic Instinct, which was also a great movie, but where she's a serial killer. Yeah, it's a much better movie know. than Basic Instinct. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie about becoming unbound in so many yes. ways, metaphorically. Yeah. But you know, like to bring it back to to, to Chucky, I gotta say, like I've never seen anything more mm. morally subversive than a horror comedy show being a vehicle for inclusivity. I mean, it's one of the most LGBT positive things that's ever been put on TV, and there's a lot of young mm -hmm. guys that are gonna yeah. come for the horror, mm -hmm. and their hearts are gonna grow from watching this show. You know what, it's really fantastic, and Don Mancini, the guy who created Chucky, and he's the showrunner on Chucky season one and season two, he's a out gay man, yeah. and he uh, created the love story between Devin and Jake. Um, he kind of patterned it after his first love, and it's actually, it's really, really sweet, because they, they're in love, and they're just sort of, starting to discover and uh, and the thing is is that um in when you read all the twitter and you read all the feedback and everything people are like young guys and everything i think the younger generation is just very into you know 
gender fluid, they non-binary. They with these hangups. They, they have no hangups because I had, didn't, didn't read anything like, ew, a boy and he's kissing another boy. Everyone's None just like, oh, that's cool. And they're presented as like really cool kids. And then they have a friend, a female friend played by Ali that's, you know, one of their, her name is Ali. Her, the actress's name is Ali and her character is an ally to uh-huh. the, the gay couple. That's just a little coincidence. <laughs> and But it is, it's, the show is super gay. We have this, and I mean, not in the best possible it's, way. No, it's super gay and it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm a gay icon and Tiffany is basically, she's like a, a drag, she's like a, a drag act except for she's the woman and um, super campy and over the top. It somehow works. <laughs> no, this is, my wife would like watch mm-hmm. one episode with me uh-huh. and she was hooked. Like oh, she wants I to have friends it. over to make mm-hmm. it a party now. It's so much fun to watch. The second season is even better than the first season and we, the episode four, the one you're talking about that's a parody of Bound. I wouldn't say a parody, I would say an homage but there's a lot of homages to bound in this show i've noticed oh he's yes i mean even in seat of he was obsessed with bound in seat of chucky he was making references to bound y'all drive off in the end like in bound in cult of chucky we drive off in a we kiss and myself and fiona dora kiss and drive off in a red pickup truck and um so he was just thrilled when gene and joey said that they would kind of come aboard and have a mini bound reunion and they play themselves i don't did i say that no you didn't no i didn't know that they play themselves in the movie they're all coming to see why Jennifer Tilly hasn't left her house for a year and a half because <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping a hostage like uh, what's what not to understand yeah I mean you do delimb this poor woman to keep her a prisoner there's a lot well, of plot to get it, yeah. yes um in okay <laughs> Just for the the readers out there, the listeners, um, she's in love. Uh, Tiffany is in love with Nika, played by the lovely Fiona Dorif. Daughter of the voice of Chucky, Oscar nominee Brad Dorf. Yes. And sometimes Chucky goes into Fiona's body and, um, and wreaks havoc. And so... Tiffany is in love with Fiona. She doesn't want her to run away. And she, if she, when she becomes Chucky, she doesn't want Chucky to cause problems. So at the end of season one, she uh, it sounds terrible, but she means well. She cuts off um, Nika's arms and legs. Like you do. <laughs> As one does. But she did it out of love. And the next day, because everybody loved, they called them Niffany. They loved Nika and Tiffany together. They thought it was a great love story. Everybody was so mad at me. They're like, good morning to him everybody except Jennifer Tilly. I'm like, oh my God, what do you want from me? Well, the role was written for you. You are a little bit to blame. uh, No, I'm like, blame Don. He wrote it. Blame Fiona. She agreed to it. I'm telling you, if Don said to me, Jennifer, I've got a great idea. Let's cut off your arms and legs. I would be like, no, like, where do we go from there? But, you know, Fiona's a great actress and she loves weird, crazy, eccentric things. And this season she has these crazy mechanical arms and she's like, like, you know, a superhero. So it was a great it was a great thing for her. But I'm like, hey, kids, don't blame me. But people have sort of grudgingly come back to wanting Nika and Tiffany to succeed. But I'm always surprised when Fiona's like, I think Nika this season, I hope Nika gets revenge. And I'm like, revenge for what? Tiffany's a sweet, sensitive person. <laughs> it's weird how you identify with your character. But it's delightful. I yes. mean, and you got to see the show for yourself uh, to understand. Trust me, th- th- I've never seen a show where every episode had so many, holy shit, I can't believe they put that on my TV moments. Mm-hmm. Chucky, the series, is streaming now. Uh, thank you, Sci-Fi. And it's also, the second season is uh, broadcasting live as well. On Sci-Fi and USA, and USA Network. Well. And the first season is streaming on Peacock. Jennifer Tilly, it's great to see you. It went by so fast. I know. Oh, well, I apparently more... you've got a lot of these. I had a lot of questions for you. We didn't oh, even get to cover sorry. poker. Sorry, I'm a self starter. Okay, well. Well, that means you got to come back. <laughs> yes, all right. I will. All right. Anytime. Bye. It's great to see you. I love watching you work and do such incredibly funny comedy. It's oh, just amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.